As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Biden campaign rolls into Kenosha. The American Psychological Association condemns capitalism and American institutions. And The Atlantic alleges that Trump mocked dead American soldiers. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. You have a right to privacy protected at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Okay, well, actually, we can, begin, we can begin this morning with some actual good news. So the United States did add 1.4 million jobs in August. That means that the unemployment rate ticked down to 8.4%, which it was down like 1.8% because it was at, at it was 10.2% in July. So that means that we are looking at what looks like a, a V-shaped recovery. It is not, in fact, in a... U-shaped recovery or a W-shaped recovery. And as the economy continues to open, you're going to see more and more job growth, which may be one of the reasons why Democrats in many of these states are a little bit hesitant to open the economy. After all, they can blame bad economic conditions on President Trump if the economy starts to recover. Well, that may alleviate a lot of the concerns about President Trump's presidency. You see this with Joe Biden, who is constantly suggesting that schools are closed because Trump botched COVID, and that businesses are closed because Trump botched COVID. What happens if New York and New Jersey reopen because it turns out that the virus is basically dead there and then the economy starts to really boom again because it was booming up until the minute that COVID hit? Well, that would give Trump a pretty strong point going into the election. And you have to suspect that some of these Democratic governors know this, that they will be blamed politically if more people die from COVID. But they can always blame Trump if the economy continues to be slow because they are keeping the economy locked down. Now, the media are are trying to downplay these numbers. They're trying to suggest that the numbers are disappointing. They are not, in fact, disappointing. The unemployment rate fell to 8.4%, down from 14.7% in April and 10.2% in July. The drop, according to the New York Times, brings the rate below the peak of the last recession a decade ago when unemployment briefly hit 10%. Joblessness is still higher than the peak of many past recessions, of course. The figure for August job growth was buoyed by the hiring of close to 240,000 temporary workers for the 2020 census, most of whom will be laid off when the census canvassing ends later this month. Private sector payrolls, which were not affected by the census, rose by 1 million in August, down from 1.5 million in July. So it seems to be slowing a little bit, but that's again because the reopening has been slowed. I mean, New York City still says that they're not going to open any of the restaurants, like pretty much ever, even though there are zero cases of death in Manhattan from COVID right now, which again suggests that this is far more political. A few podcasts ago, I went through all the unemployment stats and how it matches up with the lockdown stats. Bottom line is this. The more you locked down your state, the worse your unemployment numbers. So California has really bad unemployment numbers. New York has really bad unemployment numbers. New Jersey has really bad unemployment numbers. Texas, not so much. Florida, not so much. Arizona, not so much. And if you look in the Midwest, the unemployment numbers actually still look fairly decent. Uh, This is all a result of lockdown politics. And again, lockdown policy is bad. There is no evidence that lockdowns actually prevent people from dying of COVID. All they do is slow the spread a little bit. And then when you reopen, then the spread increases again, which again was what lockdowns were designed to do in the first place. Lockdowns were designed to flatten the curve. Florida locked down and then Florida released the lockdown and they did so in safe fashion. And then the curve rose and then the curve fell again. And at no point did Florida system get overwhelmed. Same thing with Texas. That's what lockdown was supposed to do, right? I mean, that's what slow the spread was all about. But now we are told that we have to lock down until the end of time, apparently. One thing I'm deeply fearful of with regard to COVID, honestly, is that things will get better and the media will just fail to report it because the media have a real invested interest at this point in 
suggesting that things are not getting better with COVID. Yesterday on the program, I had on Dr. Marty Makari from Johns Hopkins University, and he was talking about the development of monoclonal antibodies. So basically the artificial development of antibodies that you can take and can be used as treatment for people who actually come down with COVID. It's a therapeutic, it's not a vaccine. His suggestion was that by the end of this month or the beginning of next month, that there could be solid studies on monoclonal antibodies such that they become a course of treatment for COVID that could theoretically bring the death rates down below the flu. The question is going to be whether that is even allowed to be reported. Remember, throughout this pandemic, if at any point you make any comparison between COVID and the flu, even to suggest that for young people, the flu is more deadly than COVID, which it is, right? If you're under the age of 20, flu is significantly more deadly than COVID. If you say that, then people will suggest that you're downplaying COVID. And the media will try to browbeat you into silence about all of that. Even if you're being perfectly accurate about the data, even if you say that it's more deadly, COVID is, than the flu for people between the ages of 20 and death, essentially. But it's not particularly deadly for people under the age of 20, and it's not particularly deadly for people who are young and healthy, which is, again, true. People will suggest that you're downplaying the impact of the virus. So what happens if it turns out that the medical community comes up with therapeutics that are actually quite effective absent vaccine, such that we can all get back to work, and then the media suggest that things are still just as bad as ever? I mean, the alarmism that is now going around about what's going to happen post-Labor Day is, is pretty impressive from the media. They're saying, oh, there's going to be this massive second wave after Labor Day. Again, we've seen massive rallies in the streets for months on end in former hotspots like New York and New Jersey and Washington, D.C. And the cases of hospitalization and death have not really increased all that much. And the reason for that is because where it burned through, the virus basically has burned through. What we are seeing is there, there's yet to be evidence of a second wave anywhere. What we are watching is first waves that are hitting particular communities. Right? If, if, there, if there's a community that was locked down and then it opens, then there is a wave. Right, as, as the virus moves into a community with basically fresh blood, then people die in that community. People get hospitalized and die if you don't protect the elderly and the vulnerable. If, however, you're talking about areas where the virus has already moved through, you're not seeing an uptick in those areas. In Italy, northern Italy got hit real hard. Northern Italy is fine now. Southern Italy is seeing a wave right now. In the UK, you're seeing an increase in cases, but it's mostly among young and healthy populations. Is that supposed to be a disaster area or something? So bottom line is this. There may be, in fact, be a political interest for politicians in keeping the lockdowns going, if you, particularly if you're a Democrat. But there is no reason to continue these lockdowns, particularly in a lot of the Democratic areas that were originally hard hit in the first place. They should have to make an affirmative case why they need to continue to lock down when the virus is not particularly affecting their communities. This is particularly true, again, in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Washington, D.C., and, uh, and other heavily Democratic areas. Okay, we're going to get to... Joe Biden going to Kenosha because this is the uh, the campaign is now all about how both campaigns are responding to racial questions. And we'll, we'll get to Biden in Kenosha. It was not a good appearance by Joe Biden in Kenosha. The media pretended it was. I mean, the, the media bias is, is extraordinary in this election cycle. Worse than I've ever seen it. I remember the Obama years. I remember when they just walked around carrying a drool cup for Obama. And now they actually are physically carrying an actual drool cup for Joe Biden to drool into if you're the media. It's pretty, impre- it's pretty impressive. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, Let us talk about the best way to watch TV. So the fact is, if you have cable TV because you want Fox News or something, you're spending way too much money for your cable package, like a lot too much money for your cable package. This is why you need Fubo TV. Fubo TV is how you should be watching TV. You can get everything you want all in one place for less than the cost of cable. Fubo TV will bring you over 100 channels, cloud DVR, no hidden fees. You can stream your favorite shows on your TV or any other smart device. You can do it to your phone. They have the major broadcast and cable networks, so you can find all your shows, including live sports, news, and primetime TV. With Fubo TV, you get all of your favorite network shows, whether it's This Is Us or The Bachelor. You also get the Premier League or the NBA. You get all your sports that you could possibly want and the news channels. So you get Fox News on there as well. There is no risk to try it out. Get full access to Fubo TV for seven days for free. 
a few years ago before streaming was ubiquitous, it made some sense to subscribe to cable. But I mean, it's time for you to cut the cord and get all the channels that you could possibly want through Fubo TV. Right now, Fubo TV is offering our listeners the seven-day free trial and 15% off your first month by going to FuboTV.com slash Ben. There are no contracts. You can cancel anytime. You're going to save a bundle over what you would be paying for cable. My parents have already worked on cutting the cord and going to Fubo TV because honestly, it's got all the channels they need. And why do they need to pay for a bunch of channels they are not watching? Instead, they've got FuboTV. Go to FuboTV.com slash Ben for 15% off your first month and a free trial. That is FuboTV.com slash Ben. Once more, FuboTV.com slash Ben. F-U-B-O-TV.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. Okay, so meanwhile, Joe Biden heads over to Kenosha. If the Biden campaign is deprived of the COVID talking point, if it turns out that COVID wanes, if it turns out therapeutics are brought about, if it turns out that the number one issue on Americans' minds is not, in fact, COVID, And if it turns out that it may be the economy and the economy starts to boom again, then Biden's in real trouble, right? We are back to where we were back in February or March before the COVID pandemic hit and the lockdowns hit, in which case Trump was basically favored by nearly all the betting markets to win re-election. And that means that Joe Biden has to find an alternative case. And the alternative case is that Trump is a very bad, mean man who can't unify the country. And that means that Joe Biden really does have to focus on the stuff he has not really wanted to focus on so much, namely the questions of race and racial unity. Like he has said he wants to focus on that, but he really doesn't. Most of the Democratic platform, most of the DNC was about Trump as a character. Most of it was about Trump not being a unifying figure, but mostly it was about how Trump had blown COVID because he couldn't really make the case on the economy. Hard to make the case it was Trump's fault. The economy tanked after a global pandemic that, by the way, the U.S. responded to with more alacrity than nearly any other Western country. The United States experienced like a 10 percent GDP drop in Q2. That was better than virtually every other Western country. The only one that was even competitively close was Germany. So the United States actually handled that kind of well. I mean, like as well as could possibly be imagined under the circumstances, given how hard the United States was hit by COVID in the first place. So that talking point may be deprived of Joe Biden. He may not have the economic talking point. He may not even have the COVID talking point because, again, the fact of the matter is this thing has wiped through most of the populated areas of the United States. Now you're starting to see the uptick in places like Iowa and South Dakota, which is what you would expect. Again, untouched areas will eventually be touched. I mean, even New Zealand, which is an island in the middle of nowhere with seven people and 2,000 sheep, even that place has been hit again. Okay, so that means that Joe Biden has to focus in on the I'm a unifying light bringer. And that's a hard pitch. It's a hard pitch mainly because he was part of an administration that was quite divisive. If you look at the racial numbers, in 2008, Americans were very hopeful about race relations in the, in the United States. By the, time, by the time Donald Trump took office in 2017, Americans were really not particularly hopeful about race relations in the United States. That did not have to do with Trump. That had to do with Barack Obama being an incredibly polarizing president after basically pledging that he was going to be the great racial unifier in the United States, right? No red states, no blue states, just the United States, no black Americans, no white Americans, just Americans, right? The basic idea of the Obama candidacy was not the idea of the Obama presidency, and Joe Biden was complicit in that. In 2012, he was campaigning on Mitt Romney, the most milquetoast candidate of all time in all of human history, being somebody who wanted to put y'all back in chains. So let's not pretend that Joe Biden's racial game-playing is restricted to Donald Trump. It is not. So now Joe Biden is trying to revivify the, the, race, the race relations card against Donald Trump. And that means that he started off yesterday, put out this ad that I, that I commented upon because the ad is, is particularly egregious. It, it promotes an extraordinarily untrue and also negative message for black Americans. Here was Joe Biden's ad about race relations in the United States. Why in this nation... Black Americans wake up knowing that they can lose their life in the course of just living their life. Part of the point of freedom is to be free from brutality, from injustice, from racism, 
and all of its manifestations. We have to let people know that we not only understand their struggle, but they understand the fact they deserve to be treated with dignity. They gotta know- The, the key to this team. ad is the first line that Joe Biden says, right? So Joe Biden says, why in this nation do black Americans wake up knowing they could lose their life in the course of just living their life? That is an insane contention. I mean, fully crazy. There is, there is no evidence that is the case. There are 42 million black Americans, 42 million of them. The median household income for black Americans, about $41,000 a year. The average household income, which is, which is different than the median because it's skewed upward by high incomes like Beyonce and Jay-Z, for example, that's $58,000 a year. The, the basic concept that black Americans wake up in the United States fearing for their lives every day is nuts. So first of all, I don't see the poll data on that, that black Americans wake up every day thinking they're going to get shot and killed. And if they do think that, then that is not true. So there are two questions to be asked. One, do black Americans think that? And two, is there any justification for them thinking that? First of all, I don't see tons of evidence that every black American, 42 million of them, wake up in deadly fear of being black in the United States every day. I do see a media narrative that promulgates this. I do see prominent people from black and white saying this kind of stuff. But that raises the second question, is that feeling justified? And the answer is an obvious no. Obviously, black Americans should not wake up in the United States feeling that they are on the verge of murder. 42 million of them? That, that is that is crazy. I mean, that, that's really, that's nuts. Okay, that, that is a nuts, that is an unjustifiable feeling. It is an unjustifiable feeling. If Jews, who are the number one targeted group in the United States in terms of hate crimes, say that they wake up every morning in fear that they are going to be victimized in the United States because the United States is systemically anti-Semitic, that'd be a crazy, crazy thing to say. Because again, even though Jews are the most victimized subgroup in the United States by hate crimes, the United States is an extraordinarily friendly country to Jews. It's an extraordinarily friendly country to Jews. And let's be straight about this. If there were an ad cut by the Trump campaign saying Jews wake up every morning in the United States afraid of the predations of anti-Semites, and then it had like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and all of this, then the media fact checkers would be like, okay, number one, do Jews actually feel that way? And two, would Jews be justified in feeling that way, given the fact that Jews have an incredibly high level of education and they are a very wealthy subgroup and the fact that very few Jews are murdered? Okay, here are the actual stats on murder in the United States. Right, again, Joe Biden suggested that black Americans wake up knowing they could lose their life in the course of just living their life, right? This is Joe Biden's contention. As of 2013, according to Reuters, if you're a black person, your chances of being killed by anyone, by anyone, right? This is not just cops. Your chance of being killed by anyone. Again, vast majority of black people who are killed are killed by other black people. The vast majority of white people who are killed are killed by other white people. Intra-group murder is the most common cause of murder. Intergroup murder is actually fairly uncommon. If you're a black person, your chances of being killed by anyone as of 2013 were 62 per million, per million, right? Six per 100,000. Your chances of being murdered by a white person were five per million. Five per million. Okay, according to the Washington Post database of police shootings, 14 black Americans were shot while unarmed by the police in 2019. 14, which amounts to a rate of three per 10 million. Three per 10 million. One per 3.333 million. That is the rate of being shot unarmed by the cops. So if you wake up in the, like, is there any person in America who wakes up thinking about their one in 3.4 million chance? Their 1.3.3, one in 3.3 million chance of dying that day? No one thinks that way. No one does risk assessment that way. But because the media have blown up every racial narrative in the country to extraordinary proportions, that's the real reason. So if, if, if a lot of black Americans feel like they're on the verge of murder in the United States, that is solely due to media malfeasance. That is not due to any statistical reality at all. Now, in a normal world, what we would do is we would say, okay, the media malfeasance should stop. 
right? Because this is actually really, really damaging stuff. How harmful is it for 42 million? Let, let's assume that what Biden says is true. How harmful is it for 42 million Americans and 13 percent of the entire American population to believe that they live on the verge of being murdered by the other 87 percent of the population every day? How, how damaging is that to children who believe that they are waking up in a country where they could be murdered for their skin color alone? How damaging is that, particularly if it's not true? It's, it's a really damaging thing. And not only is it damaging to black Americans to believe that they are falsely believe that they are living in a country that seeks to persecute them and harm them. It is damaging to the entire body politic because either you agree with that, in which case you want to wreck all the systems that have provided American prosperity, security and freedom. Or you disagree with it, in which case, presumably, you are labeled unempathetic and uncaring. Which is why, I, honestly, so I tweeted out, what is the evidence that black Americans, all 42 million of them, wake up knowing they could be murdered just for being black? What is the evidence to justify this proposition? This led Catherine Watson, who's a White House reporter for CBS News, a White House reporter, to tweet, maybe white people should sit this one out. She's literally a reporter. Her job is to journalism. That is some epic journalism right there. Now, as a journalist, wouldn't you want to ask whether a proposition is true if a political candidate for president is making it? Wouldn't you want to ask whether it is true that black Americans fear on a daily basis being murdered for their race or whether that is a justified feeling? I mean, isn't that your actual job? But according to Catherine Watson, you literally should not report on this. You shouldn't fact check anything that Joe Biden says. By the way, there's a great irony to this. She says maybe white people should sit this one out. I noticed Joe Biden's kind of white, didn't you? Joe Biden, a little bit white. So she's fine with Joe Biden spouting nonsense. She's fine with Joe Biden promulgating a narrative that is incredibly damaging to the United States and to black Americans in the United States because he's a white person saying the right kinds of things. So it really isn't about the race of the person asking the question. It's really about the question itself. And this is going to lead to an impasse in American politics and an impasse in American life. We'll get to that impasse in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that you know, you really never think about your phone. You know, you bring it into the bathroom and, and you kind of, you're, you're on the phone while you're going to the bathroom or you're just walking around your daily life. You're touching things, then you touch your phone, then you put it to your face. You really, really need to make sure these days, particularly, that your phone is sanitized. Whatever you touch on the phone, that gets past your hands, that gets touched your face, gets touched your ear. Okay, you got to clean your phone. And this is why you need phone soap. Phone soap is the original patented and clinically proven UVC phone sanitizer. They've been making phone sanitizer for the past decade. Phone soap uses UVC light and their patented clinically proven technology to kill 99.99% of germs like E. coli, salmonella, and the cold and flu virus. By the way, there's a big difference between, there's some people who will say that they sanitize like 99% of germs on some parts of your phone, but phone soap surrounds the entire phone with the UV light. So they achieve 99.99% disinfection, which means they're killing basically 100 times more bacteria than just 99% because it's a factorial. Phone soap can sanitize and charge your phone in as little as five minutes. Phone soap is the only consumer UV sanitizer with a 360-degree disinfectant chamber. It uses two pieces of quartz glass, which is important, to suspend your phone, making sure that all sides are disinfected. It was featured on Shark Tank. You may have seen it there. For a limited time, go to phonesoap.com and use the code Shapiro to save 15% and receive free shipping. I mean, these days, you don't want the germs on your phone. That is a vector for transmission of disease. Phone Soap offers a lifetime warranty on their bulbs. Go to phonesoap.com. Remember to use the code Shapiro. That is phonesoap.com today phonesoap.com. Remember to use the code Shapiro and save 15% off and free shipping. Okay, so when Joe Biden makes the claim that 42 million black Americans are living in abject fear of being murdered in the United States, just killed, going about their daily business in the United States, we should ask, number one, whether black Americans really feel that way. And two, you do have to ask the question whether even if people feel a thing, that feeling is justified. You know, when it comes to individuals, they, they're individuals who have depression uh, or a perception of victimhood. 
it used to be that, that a school of psychology suggested that you were there to reinforce, right? You were, to, you were there to have them tell you the Freudian stories about their childhood that made them think this way and all of this. And then there came something in psychology called cognitive behavioral therapy. And this is something that Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff have talked about. Jonathan Haidt, of course, the, the sociologist from NYU. Cognitive behavioral therapy is the basic idea that you come in and you complain that something bad is happening in your life and you're really depressed about it. And what the therapist does, instead of just legitimizing your feelings, you, know, you lie on the couch and you do talk therapy. Instead of that, the therapist will say, is it possible you're misinterpreting that? Is it possible that you are taking a situation and misinterpreting it? it the, the whole goal is to intervene in your own thought process so that you stop being depressed. Because instead of you just talking about your depression, which actually makes you more depressed, and your victimology, which makes you more victimized, instead, the question is, maybe you've misinterpreted that. Or maybe there's a way around that. Or maybe you should stop your thought process in the middle, right? It's cognitive behavioral therapy, intervening in the thought process to stop this chain of thoughts, to break the chain of thoughts that leads to depression and leads to malaise and leads to, you know, all the things that you don't want in your life. If you want to be an empowered human being, you can't think like, you can't think like a victim. You cannot, particularly if the evidence doesn't justify it. So asking whether the evidence justifies the, the contention that black Americans are being ground under the heel every day, the grinding, the grinding racism of American life. You have to ask whether there's material basis for that. And everybody should ask that question about their own life too. Okay, this is true on every, for every individual of every race. If you walk around in your life thinking, I am victimized, you have to ask by whom and how can that be solved? Or is it possible that I am misinterpreting things? Or is it possible that everybody has obstacles in their life and we just have to overcome those obstacles? The beauty, however, politically speaking, of blaming a system is that you never have to look to your own individual action. Responsibility never falls upon you. Instead, responsibility falls on the system writ large. And we have now created, via identity politics, a system for, for barring the question itself. And that, that tweet from Catherine Watson is so telling, right? You're not supposed to ask the question. You're not. If you're white, you're not supposed to ask the question at all, right? You're not supposed to talk at all, unless you're asking the kind of question that Catherine Watson wants you to ask. You're never supposed to engage in this sort of therapy because the only people who can, who can think about whether they truly have a reason to feel victimized are the people who feel that. Okay, but that, that is not a way to achieve any sort of political end that locks all of us in our little individual boxes, unable to communicate with one another. It's the opposite of empathy. Now, the, the idea here is that empathy is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. But if you were to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, you would have to think, okay, well, do they feel justified in this feeling? And if so, how do they make their life better? You wouldn't just sit there and, and wallow in, in whatever it is that, that you were feeling under any circumstances, right? That, that, that is not empathetic. That doesn't solve any problems. But the goal is not to solve the problem, of course. The goal is specifically to suggest that the system is broken and therefore just give Joe Biden power and everything will be all better. And Americans fall for this. I saw a poll yesterday that suggested that Americans trusting government is now at all time loans. Only, only 10% of Americans trust the government. And I asked a pretty simple question. So why do you keep giving power to it? All of you, right, left, center, why do you keep giving more power to government if you don't trust the government? And the answer is that everybody seems to have bought into the idea that only the politicians can solve. The systems are broken. It is, it is not decisions that are up to us. It's not the stuff we do in our everyday lives that matters. It is the systems that are broken and therefore it requires quote unquote systemic solutions implemented by the top. That is a fool's errand. You are not gonna get what you want from Joe Biden. You are not gonna get what you want from Donald Trump. It is not only they can fix, only you can fix. Only you can fix. Most of the problems in your life are solvable by you. And if they are not solvable by you, if somebody is actively discriminating against you, that is illegal and we should all fight that. If somebody is engaging in actual illegal activity, we should spot that. But instead, we have decided on a narrative whereby you, you suggest that wide swaths of people have feelings, and then you can't fact check the justification for those feelings, because if you do, you are therefore uncaring. 
when precisely the opposite is true. Allowing people to, to be stuck in an unjustified feeling does not help them. It does not make them better. It does not make their lives better. And a media that actively promulgates feelings that are unjustified is doing something wrong, is doing something bad for, country, for the country and doing something bad for individuals. And that's exactly what Joe Biden and the media are pursuing. It's really not good stuff. Okay, so as we'll talk about in a second, Joe Biden headed over to Kenosha and he met with Jacob Blake's family and got on the phone with Jacob Blake. This is insane to me. I'll explain to you why this is insane to me in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that things are uh, unsettled right now, to say the least. Gun sales are at an all-time high. There's a reason for that. People are feeling rather unprotected. And that is because there has, in fact, been a major uptick in crime in most major American cities. And you look on the TV and then you see that Kenosha is burning and you think to yourself, you know, I, I don't really have a lot of trust that the authorities are always going to be able to protect me. But it's more than just owning a gun. You got to know how to use it. It is very important for you as a law-abiding American to be able to protect yourself and protect your rights. But you also have to know what you can legally do with a gun. You need the proper education, industry-leading training to ensure your skills are sharp when faced with danger and the nation's best legal protection should you, God forbid, find yourself lost in the aftermath of a self-defense incident. This is why you need my friends at the U.S. Concealed Carry Association, the USCCA. Get started today by texting GUN to 87222. You'll receive the complete concealed carry and family defense guide for free. In this guide, you'll learn how to detect attackers before they see you, how to survive a mass shooting, seven firearm drills that could save your life, and much, much more. It's 164 pages and comes the bonus audio version so you can listen whenever you want. Again, it's important for all responsible Americans to responsibly own firearms, and that means you need to know what you can do, what you can't do, and how to protect yourself. In addition, if you text today, you'll be entered to win 1000 bucks to put toward a gun of your choice that you can use to protect your family. Text GUN, G-U-N, to 87222 right now. Get involved with the USCCA and get their Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide for free. Again, text GUN to 87222 right now to get started. Okay, so Joe Biden heads over to Kenosha. And in heading over to Kenosha, he meets not with local business owners because that's what Trump did, right? He met with the people who were actually victimized in Kenosha. And when I say actually victimized, I am specifically saying there is no evidence to suggest that Jacob Blake was quote-unquote victimized by the police. Okay, there, the evidence does not suggest that. The evidence suggests that Jacob Blake, there's an open warrant for sexual assault and domestic abuse. He, the, the cops were called to the scene because Jacob Blake was allegedly digitally raping a woman with her child in the room. Okay, and she called the cops. And apparently he did this to her like every six months, according to her allegations. And the cops showed up and then he resisted arrest. He was tased twice. He shrugged off the cops. He walked around to the driver's side of the car. They had their guns drawn. They were ordering him to comply. He did not. He reached into the car and then they found a knife on the floorboard of the driver's side of the car and they shot him. Okay, that is what is called a justified shoot by any legal definition. Okay, if that's, unless there is some news breaking, that is called a justified shooting. It doesn't matter to Joe Biden though, because again, the narrative must be, the narrative must prevail. And the narrative is that black people are willy-nilly being murdered in the streets by police officers. That 42 million black Americans should live their life. They are justified in believing that they should live their life in abject fear of a system that is out to get them. The, the evidence that I have seen is that Jacob Blake, the man who was shot, is a bad human being. The reason I say he is a bad human being is because I do not think that good human beings digitally rape women in front of their children. Okay, just, just a, a wild theory I have. So the, the, the fact that he is calling a guy who is allegedly a, a rapist, okay, who had three children in the back of the car. He like left his kids in the car and then went into this woman's house to digitally rape her allegedly. That does not sound like the kind of person a presidential candidate should get on the phone with, nor does it sound like he should really be in the house with the parents of this person. Because again, there is no evidence that the cops were, were unjustified in the shooting at this point. It doesn't matter to Joe Biden. He says they should be tried anyway, right? He says they should be, they should be charged anyway. 
uh, legal expert Joe Biden. He met with the parents of Jacob Blake, who, by the way, the father is apparently a rabid anti-Semite. Like posted just repeated anti-Semitism in the Democratic Party is no biggie. So we all understand that, right? The guy posted allegiance to Louis Farrakhan and and he was posting all sorts of stuff about how the Jews control the world and all this kind of stuff. Really, really seems like a charming family. Joe Biden met with them, did not meet with business owners. And he spoke with Jacob Blake by phone for 15 minutes. And Biden said he talked about how nothing was going to defeat him. How whether he walked again or not, he was not going to give up. Not going to give up on what exactly? Like n- nobody wants people not to be able to walk. This guy is going to go to jail. Okay, he's going to go to jail and he should go to jail if he committed the crimes which have been alleged against him. Okay, so this in and of itself demonstrates that the facts do not match the narrative, but the narrative matters most of all. Okay, so Joe Biden then goes to a church and his visit to Kenosha, not only was it you know bad on the messaging front, but also he just looked terrible because he heads out to Kenosha and it reinforces all of the rumors about his health. It reinforces the fact that he does not look like he is strong out there. First, he suggests that it is the first chance in a generation to cut a slice off institutional racism. Again, th- these, these words mean nothing. Understand that when people say institutional racism, most of the time they don't know what they are referring to. The term institutional racism was coined by Stokely Carmichael, the former head of the Black Panther Party, and it was specifically designed to shift the definition of racism from what we all understand racism to be, namely the belief in the inferiority or superiority of a particular group of people based on their race. It shifted that definition into any system that creates inequality is racist which is, which is a, a, an illogical and evidence-free system of identifying racism because literally every system provides for inequality between groups. There is no system that has no inequality between groups. It does not exist unless you're talking about a system that provides only abject poverty for everyone. Okay, but Joe Biden is saying mush mouth crazy words. Right? He says, this is the first chance in a generation to cut a slice off institutional racism. There's so many contradictions here. First of all, I don't know what the hell he means. Second of all, wasn't he vice president like four years ago? What ha- why wasn't that an operation? Why-, why wasn't that an opportunity to cut a slice off institutional racism? Hasn't he been in government his entire adult life? Didn't he enter Congress? Didn't he enter the Senate at age 30? Right, and he's now 97 years old. So why is, like, what is he, like, this is, I'm sorry, this is so evidence-free and so contrary to any shred, any iota of logic that it boggles the mind. Here's Joe Biden saying a silly thing. This is the first chance we've had in a generation, in my view, to deal and cut another slice off institutional racism toward getting to the place where it changes. And by the way, the main reason why I'm optimistic, because of your generation, black, white, Hispanic, and Asian American. Did you ever think you'd turn on TV? You're much younger than I am, but you're a little older than she is. Did you ever think you'd turn on the TV? And roughly two out of three ads would be biracial couples selling a product. Um, what? what? What in the world is this? What is this old coot talking about? I mean, really, what is this old coot talking about? Did I ever turn on the TV and think that we'd see the middle of Melrose Avenue shut down by Antifa? Well, people in the media cheer. I didn't think that. OK, but the, the real story of Biden's visit to Kenosha, after all, was the fact that he is a doddering old fool. I mean, he, he just is. I, I'm sorry. He says silly things all the time. It is completely ignored. How bad was this? Apparently, the questioners here were being handed scripts. Not kidding. Okay, I'm not alleging this. One of the questioners is alleging this. So here's a young woman from Kenosha, a young black woman from Kenosha. And she literally gets up and she says, I was told to read from this piece of paper, but I'm going to ask you an actual question. Who gave her a piece of paper and told her to read from a piece of paper to Joe Biden? I mean, Joe Biden was pretty much reading from a script the entire time because he cannot be allowed off the script. No wonder Nancy Pelosi doesn't want him to debate Trump. 
Here's this woman basically letting the cat out of the bag here. I'm just going to be honest, Mr. Biden. I was told to go off this paper, but I can't. You need the truth. And I'm part of the truth. I was born here, raised here. First eighth grade class of the school that was named after his mother. So I have to give you the truth of the people. And the truth of the matter is we are heavily angry. Okay, so the fact that that he's being he's handing people scripts to read. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And you can see why, because here are some more of the, the wonderful moments from this Kenosha visit. So Joe Biden is talking about his tax plan and he literally stops. While speaking in Kenosha, remember, this whole thing was let off by a media report about Jacob Blake being shot. He literally stops in the middle of explaining his tax plan and says, they'll shoot me. Not a great look here, old Joe. 19 corporations making a billion dollars apiece don't pay a single penny in taxes. I'm not going to punish anybody, but everybody should pay a fair share. I can lay out for you. I won't now because they'll shoot me. But here's the deal. I pay for every single thing I'm proposing without raising your taxes one penny. If you make less than 400 grand, you're not going to get a penny tax and you're going to get a tax cut if you make under $125,000. Okay, that's not true, actually, but it doesn't matter. The the bottom line is saying they'll shoot me if I talk about my tax plan in Kenosha is is awkward. And then he tells a a young man to sit down because you're getting too antsy. Crotchety old coot Joe Biden here. Don't worry, guys. he's, He's perfectly stable. The most at-risk generation for the first time in American history is the Z generation. They have the greatest degree of anxiety of any generation all the way up the scale, no matter where they are. We've also learned, and I'll end with this. I know you're getting too antsy. Sit down, man. No, I get Okay. How do I do that? Here's the last thing. Stop that. But, 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 but this is important. Here's the deal. Young whippersnapper is getting, 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 here's the deal. Young whippersnapper is getting too antsy. Okay, and then Joe Biden teaches us history. And honestly, he should know the history better than this because he was around when the light bulb was invented. He actually interned in Thomas Edison's office, apparently. But here is Joe Biden radically botching American history because, again, he is not good at this at all. People fear that's which, that which is different. We got to, for example, why in God's name don't we teach history in history classes? A black man invented the light bulb, not a white guy named Edison. Okay, there's so much. Did anybody know before what, what, what's recently happened? Uh, no, that's not true. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not. I mean, Thomas Edison didn't invent the light bulb. Louis Latimer is the person he's talking about, and he perfected the carbon filament, which is an important thing, but you don't have to be like, Thomas Edison didn't exist. He was, he was a figment of our imagination. It was actually a black man who invented the light bulb. Wasn't it like enough to, like the carbon filament's pretty important. They were using, what, platinum filaments before that, which would have been super duper expensive. Tungsten. So that's 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 like an important thing. I feel like that's important enough. You don't have to rewrite the history. But Joe Biden is a, is a he also just in the middle of this thing. He's like, what am I doing now? <laughs> he's doddering around the stage. But wait till you see the media reaction to this, because basically of an old white man who spent his entire career doing nothing. Like, honestly, if he wants to talk about at a certain point, he's like, we should talk about black contributions to white American life. If he wants to talk about black contributions to white American life, he is example one A of a white man who has benefited from a black man. OK, Joe Biden would be an obscure, no-name, ridiculous, much-mocked senator from Delaware if it were not for the fact that Joe Biden plucked that Barack Obama plucked him from obscurity and made him his VP. Would this guy be a presidential candidate? Are you kidding me? He'd run like 83 times in the past and couldn't get more than two and a half votes. 
And they were all members of his family. Right? Here, here was Joe Biden literally asking what is going on around him in Kenosha. <laughs> I love that. Am I doing it? So you, you both will just turn right around here, and then sir? we're good. Yeah, you just stay right here. We're going to have everyone turn around in the queue. And then, <laughs> yes, sir. What am I doing? There's elder abuse at this point. Okay, wait until you hear the media drooling all over this. The media have just become the, the public relations wing of the Democratic Party because their reaction to this really pretty bad Kenosha visit is astonishing. Astonishing. And it continues to promulgate the dual narratives that Joe Biden is good at this. And second, that black Americans ought to be living in fear of their lives. All 42 million of them ought to be living in fear of their lives because of the predations of white America. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that there are a thousand reasons why you'd want to protect your home right now. Here in L.A., we have a bit of a crime spree going on where people go to people's mailboxes and they just steal packages right out of the mailbox. Well, if you got Ring, you can tell exactly who is doing that and you can hand the information over to the cops. I have several friends who have done this because they have Ring devices. I can tell who's ringing my doorbell, even if I'm not at home, which is important because sometimes people ring the doorbell before they rob the joint because they're casing the place. Hey, with Ring, I can also keep track of my kids. So I have Ring cameras all over my all over my house. And that means that my kids who are basically small suicide machines, they just run around trying to kill themselves because they're all under the age of seven. I can keep track of them from my phone wherever I am. Whatever you call home, Ring has everything you need to protect it. See and speak to whoever is at your door from anywhere with video doorbells. Keep an eye on every corner of your house with easy-to-install indoor and outdoor cams. Protect your whole home with Ring Alarm, a powerful, affordable, whole home security system you can easily install yourself. And I use Ring all the time at my house, like literally all the time. Because in my kitchen, I have a device that I have like a TV screen that hooks up to all my Ring cameras. Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit at ring.com slash Ben. It comes with that Ring Video Doorbell 3 and the Chime Pro. That is the perfect way to start your Ring experience, plus free two-day shipping. Go to ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now, ring.com slash Ben. Alrighty, it is that glorious time of the week when I give a shout out to a Daily Wire member. We have arrived today. It is Rob Valenti on Instagram who understands proper pet care during a pandemic. That is a cute dog, my goodness. In the pic, a smart little pup is relaxing next to the world's most elite beverage vessel and copies my books, The Right Side of History and How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. The caption reads, Izzy powering through the apparently endless lockdown with some COVID-19 home education while additionally sipping on delicious and nourishing tears. Hashtag Ben Shapiro, hashtag The Daily Wire. Good on you, Izzy. Gotta stay sharp during these incredible, crazy lockdowns. That is a smart and cute dog. My goodness. Thanks for the picture, Rob. Hope that you enjoyed the books as well as your dog. Also, exciting announcement. We're introducing a new upgraded experience. Daily Wire is now on Apple TV and Roku, so members can enjoy all of the visual magic of this podcast on your big screen, either live or on demand. Find The Daily Wire on Apple TV or Roku and download today. You do have to be an insider member to watch live, so head on over to dailywire.com slash Shapiro. Use code WATCH at checkout and you'll get 15% off your membership purchase. The deal won't last long, so act fast if you want live shows on your big screen, plus the one-of-a-kind, highly coveted, much sought-after, often imitated, never duplicated, leftist here's Tumblr. Ooh, ah. Again, that is dailywire.com slash Shapiro to get 15% off with code WATCH and download The Daily Wire on your Apple TV and Roku today. Finally, another announcement for y'all. The Ben Shapiro Show Sunday Special. It's back and better than ever this week with an all-new episode featuring Candace Owens. We'll be talking about the 2020 election, George Floyd, Cardi B, tons of other good stuff. So don't miss out this Sunday, September 6th. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So the media reaction to Joe Biden's Kenosha visit was entirely predictable. The drool cups were out, not just for them, but also for Joe Biden because they have to catch his drool. CNN's Brooke Baldwin, I don't know why she's not, if she's not getting paid by the Biden campaign. I don't know why not. It seems like she could earn a lucrative side salary 
simply by acknowledging that she's a propagandist. Listen to her reaction to Joe Biden doddering around in a church while apparently handing like scripted pieces of paper to people to ask him questions. This is here. Here's Brooke Baldwin going full Jay Carney. Never go full Jay Carney. Point by point by point on his notes, uh, you know, just just questions, concerns from from folks there who have been able to speak up about, you know, their children and education and mental illness and the health and the, the prison system. But I want to go back just briefly. I mean, obviously, he's there in the wake of the, the Jacob Blake shooting. He's met with the family today and he was mentioning Charlottesville. And again, you know, when Joe Biden announced he wanted to run for president, what did he say? He wants to fight for the soul of this nation. And that is precisely what he is trying to do in making his case to become the next president. Of the United States. Wow, that is precisely what he's doing. Well, I mean, wow, wow. She she is so impressed. She is so impressed. And I never would have predicted that from a CNN anchor. Never would have predicted anything remotely like that. So Brooke Baldwin doing the heavy lifting there. Meanwhile, CNN had an entire panel lionizing Jacob Blake and Joe Biden. And then Jacob Blake's attorneys were attacking Donald Trump and William Barr. Nothing like having the attorneys for a man accused, alleged of, uh, of digitally raping a woman with her son in the room, appearing on TV to lionize Joe Biden. Uh, and CNN had an entire panel doing this. It was really, really solid stuff. Uh, by the way, the, lo the lawyer originally claimed, lest you forget, Benjamin Crump originally claimed that Jacob Blake was there on the scene in order to break up a fight between two women. He was a good Samaritan. And then he tried to walk away from the confrontation when he was senselessly shot by the cops. Not one element of that was true. Here is, the, uh, here is that bit of, uh, of propaganda on CNN yesterday. What we've seen was, you know, Vice President Biden uh, show a great degree of empathy and that also shares stories and challenges of medical uh, challenges that he's personally had. And I thought that was uh, I thought that helped ease um, the burden a little bit to some degree for Jacob. What we heard from Vice President Biden is that he is very supportive of measures that allow police to better do their job. I think that uh, Attorney General Barr's statements um, are very disturbing. And I think that type of rhetoric is divisive. And I think at a time where we really need to be united. What was divisive there? Okay, that guy's actually Blavory Lamar. Benjamin Crump was the person who took the photo that you see on the screen there. That's why I said Benjamin Crump. You can see the photo on the screen of, uh, of Jacob Blake. Blavory Lamar, what, what exactly did Barr do that was so terrible? Barr said that systemic racism is not a problem in police departments across the country, which again is true. Okay, the evidence of systemic racism meaning that the police are systemically racist, like out to get black people, it is not there. The evidence that that is a widespread problem in American policing is not there. Are there cases of policemen who are racist? Sure. Are there cases of everybody in any industry being racist? Sure. Are police widely and broadly speaking racist and out to get black people? The answer, of course, is no. But this is the narrative promulgated by the media. Right? Again, this all goes back to that centralized narrative that Democrats and the media have been pushing for now decades, which is that black people are being ground under the boot heel of American cruelty and racism. Now, that, that message immediately goes away as soon as Democrats are elected. But when Republicans are in office, then it immediately comes back again. What's so insulting about this is there was a point in time when this was true. For, in fact, a huge swath of American history, this was true. It is not true in 2020. It has not been true for quite a while. Nonetheless, here was MSNBC's Eddie Gloud yesterday saying that if you say the phrase law and order, that's bad. Because if you say law and order, that's shifting the blame from police brutality to how black people respond to police brutality. Well, hold up. If you're responding to false allegations of police brutality by burning a city, it seems to me that law and order is pretty important. And it turns out that law and order is mostly important for people living in communities where law and order is not observed. If you're living in a poor, impoverished community, what you need is property rights and individual rights protected. 
Law and order should be important to everyone. It is the precondition for a civilized society. But Eddie Gloud says if you say law and order, it's because you're a racist. When we hear the language of law and order, we need to understand its origin. It has everything to do with shifting the blame and focus uh, from the violence of police to how black people respond to the violence that they experience. So when we think about all of the urban unrest in, in the 20th century, 90 percent of that urban unrest, uh, Chris, has been a result, has been a response to police violence. Ninety percent. And so what we do is we respond to the quote-unquote looting and the violence, but we never address the underlying cause. Okay, th- this, is, this is so crazy that you're not allowed to talk about, about law and order because somehow you're a racist if you mention law and order, according to Eddie Blaub. And this narrative, again, is, is promulgated in every circumstance, in every circumstance, regardless of the surrounding fact pattern. So, for example, there was a low-level unrest in Washington, D.C. over the last couple of nights after there was a man named Dion Kay who was shot. Okay, he was an 18-year-old. He was shot by a D.C. police officer. He died shortly afterward in a nearby hospital. And then he immediately became part of the pantheon of Say Their Name. Right, protesters sprung into action. They went to uh, the house of D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, who, of course, had tried to appease the mob and be part of the mob by painting giant letters on, on the street and renaming plazas and, and all of this. So they initially seized on reports that a black man was unjustifiably shot by the cops. And then the tape came out, and it turns out that this guy was running from the cops. He was not, in fact, shot in the back, as the original allegation suggested. He was shot directly in the front because he was carrying a handgun at the time. What's a cop supposed to do? Like, stand there and wait for the uh, suspect to raise the handgun and shoot him? Here is the actual tape of what happened with Dion Kay. Here are the cops arriving. You can't see this. And they are, uh, they are chasing the suspect. Okay? And then they see the suspect. The suspect comes around the corner. And he, uh, and he has a gun, right? And then they go and they find the gun. And so it looks like maybe he was trying to throw the gun, but you have no idea. When somebody comes at you with a gun, what are you supposed to do? Wait for wait to see like which angle his arm is going to come at? According to townhall.com, police say officers were responding to a live stream on social media of a man brandishing a firearm. The officers recognized the young man from their previous encounters with the individual. According to the chief, Kay was a validated gang member. When officers arrived and approached the car, two of the four occupants fled on foot. Body cam footage of the incident captures Dion K raising a gun as he raises toward, uh, raises as he runs toward a Hispanic officer. The officer then fires a single shot at K, striking him in the chest. And two people who complied with the cops, of course, were arrested without injury, which is what typically happens. Right? Remember, even in the George Floyd situation, there are other people in the car, nothing happened to them. And meanwhile, another fact pattern that is now being uh, used as an evidence of systemic American racism. Seven police officers have been suspended in Rochester after the death of Daniel Prude. We talked about this case a little bit yesterday. This is a case in which there was a black man who was apparently high on PCP, and it was suspected that he was suffocated to death by the officers. According to the New York Times, the man, Daniel Prude, was having a psychotic episode. Apparently, he'd been hospitalized for suicidal ideation earlier in the day and then released. He was handcuffed by officers running naked in the streets in the middle of a freezing night. You can actually see the snow coming down in the video. Prude began spitting and claiming out loud that he had COVID-19. This is the beginning of the COVID crisis. And then they put what was called a spit sock over his head. Those are mesh bags, okay? They don't suffocate you. They are mesh bags. You can breathe through them. As he, when he tried to rise, the officers force Prude face down on the ground. One of them pushes his head to the pavement. Prude was held down by the police for two minutes and then later had to be resuscitated. The accusation is, of course, that they asphyxiated him. Okay, now, there's one problem with this. The EMT arrives, and then they're, they're focusing in on the fact that uh, one of the officers has his knee on the guy's back. Now, that is, throughout the United States, 
an approved procedure. Okay, this is true for George Floyd too. It's an approved police procedure dealing with a condition called excited delirium. Okay, excited delirium is a medically known condition. And in fact, when the EMT arrives on scene, when the EMT arrives on scene, the EMT says, guys, this is a case of excited delirium, right? It, like he's trying to comfort them. He says, this isn't your fault. Now, the, the media have also said that they're laughing at him. The man makes some sort of comment about his, about his penis and they start laughing at the comment because it's kind of funny. They're not sitting there laughing at the man's condition. Okay, that's not what the video actually shows. In any case, excited delirium has now been mistaken in several cases for police brutality. Here's an article from the uh, Western Journal of Emergency Medicine circa 2011 from Professor Asia Takuchi of the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine, Terrence Ahern from the Keck School of Medicine at USC, and Sean Henderson from the Keck School of Medicine at USC about excited delirium. Here is how they describe the condition of excited delirium. Excited or agitated delirium, which again was named by the officers in this case, also in the George Floyd case, is characterized by agitation, aggression, acute distress, and sudden death, often in the pre-hospital care setting. It is typically associated with the use of drugs that alter dopamine processing, hyperthermia, and most notably, sometimes with death of the affected person in the custody of law enforcement. Subjects typically die from cardiopulmonary arrest, although the cause is debated. So in fa- what, what they're saying is that basically, excited delirium happens to a lot of people, but it very often is the reason why the cops are called, because you'll see somebody, somebody acting extraordinarily erratically, aggressively. Uh, it, you'll see people acting with agitation. It's, it's associated with drugs, drugs like, for example, fentanyl in the case of George Floyd, or in this particular case, drugs like PCP, hyperthermia, right? Hy- hypothermia is where you're too cold. Hyperthermia is where you're too hot, which might be one reason why this, uh, why this unfortunate guy uh, was, uh, was walking around naked in the snow. Subjects typically die from cardiopulmonary arrest, right? They, they die of a heart attack, essentially. And then people mistakenly attribute that to the restraints that the officers are using. I mean, they literally say this in a 2011 article. These are doctors, right? These are medical doctors. So we're, we're following the science here. So one of the things that they say is, EXD, right, excited delirium, has gained increasing public attention recently due to the number of postmortem explanations offered by medical examiners regarding the death of individuals being restrained by police or being taken into custody. Authors of one review article found enough evidence in the literature to suggest that excited delirium might represent the clinical spectrum of a, and, and rhabdomyelosis and neuroleptic malignant syndrome might represent the clinical spectrum of a single disease. They say that very often, medical examiners mistakenly attribute the death to asphyxia in these particular cases. But in fact, in most cases of excited delirium, people die without ever having encountered the police. Since the victims sometimes die in police custody, says this study, the most widely publicized proposed causes of death in EXD are taser use and positional asphyxia. No study thus far has been able to demonstrate a causal relationship between taser use and subsequent individual's death. Also, supporters of the positional asphyxia hypothesis postulate and that an anoxic death results from the combination of increased oxygen oxygen demand with a failure to maintain a patent airway or inhibition of the chest wall. But the positional asphyxia theory has been refuted by a series of articles exploring the effect of PRMP on ventilatory capacity and arterial blood gases. Okay, so basically what this article says is that people suddenly die after exhibiting excited delirium, and it is generally not the suppression of the officers that leads to it. But one of the reasons why this is an approved use of force, you know, putting your, your knee on somebody's back or on the back of somebody's neck, as long as you're not actually cracking their sternum or something, is because people get very aggressive and they get very erratic when they have excited delirium. This has been treated by everybody as another example of unwarranted police brutality. And if you know nothing about excited delirium, that's what it looks like. But the media don't even bother to report on excited delirium, which is, in fact, what the EMC said it was apl- arriving on scene. 
arriving on scene. So again, the narrative matters more than anything else. Speaking of the narrative mattering more than anything else, yesterday, the suspect in Portland was fatally shot by U.S. Marshals. So the, the media, again, they have an agenda to pursue. And the agenda to pursue is that the violence in America's major cities is not, in fact, caused by Antifa or BLM supporters. It is caused by right-wingers. So yesterday, the suspect in the fatal shooting of a, uh, the, the suspect in the fatal shooting of a right-wing supporter in Portland was shot and killed by a U.S. Marshals Task Force near Lacey on Thursday evening. The, uh, the shooter is 48-year-old Michael Forrest Reinel. He was the suspect. He murdered a man who was a uh, patriot prayer guy. There was an, a warrant out for Reinel's arrest earlier on Thursday. And uh, apparently the suspect came out of the car. He was carrying a gun. He, f- he apparently fired shots at the officers. And, uh, they, uh, and then they shot him. So he was pronounced dead at the scene. Now, earlier in the day, Vice found the guy and they interviewed him and they simply allowed him to propagandize about how he was actually attempting to lower the temperature and how he how he shot this man in self-defense. There's no evidence that he shot the man in self-defense. I mean, the evidence is pretty clear, in fact, on tape that he's just a patent murderer. Here was the uh, suspect. This is uh, obviously before being shot. Lots of lawyers suggest that I shouldn't even be saying anything, but I feel it's important that the world at least gets a little bit of what's really going on because there's been a lot of propaganda put out there. I had no choice. I mean, I, I, I had a choice. I could have sat there and watched them kill a friend of mine of color. But I wasn't going to do that. There's no evidence that the man who was shot was about to kill a person of color. None. Okay, so then... This guy, apparently, he has a rifle and he gets into some sort of gun battle with the cops and then he gets shot. I need to read you how the New York Times characterizes this because it is incredible. It is incredible. This guy is an Antifa member. He characterized himself as 100% Antifa who had been arrested prior on a gun violation. Like in early July, he was let off with no charges in Multnomah County and then he went and murdered somebody. Here's how the New York Times reported this story. Quote, suspect in fatal Portland shooting is killed by officers during arrest. Law enforcement agents killed Michael Forrest Reinel while trying to arrest him, four officials said. He was being investigated in the fatal shooting of a supporter of a far-right group. So just to be straight, in the subhead, there's no mention of Antifa. There's no mention of Black Lives Matter. The only political affiliation is the victim, right? The only person whose politics the New York Times cares about, apparently, is the victim. It's amazing. Here's the first... Here's the first paragraph. Law enforcement agents shot and killed an Antifa supporter on Thursday as they moved to arrest him in the fatal shooting of a right-wing activist who was part of a pro-Trump caravan in Portland, Oregon, officials said. The suspect, Michael Forrest Reinel, 48, was shot by officers from a federally-led fugitive task force during the encounter in Washington state. Okay, buried down further in the interview, they went and they interviewed a bunch of this guy's friends. And according to this guy's friends, he was a wonderful man. Okay, here is, here is the way that the New York Times reports on his death. Okay, and again, all evidence is that he murdered somebody in cold blood by shooting him point blank. Okay, quote, as part of the protesters' security team during the demonstrations, Mr. Reinold's role included intercepting potential agitators and helping calm conflicts, fellow protesters said. Nightly, he would break up fights, said Randall McCorkle, a regular at the demonstrations, who said he became close friends with Reinold as they wore on. He wanted change so badly, he said. His death, he said, would likely inspire others to continue the movement for police reform. I was going to say radicalize, but galvanize is a better word, he said. Honestly, I'm going to try to step into his shoes. Reese Monson, a local leader in the protest movement who also helped organize security, said all the people who helped with security in Portland, including Reinald, were trained on de-escalation. He was excellent at that, said Mr. Monson. Mr. Monson said security designees have been trained to approach potential agitators and politely ask them to leave. They've also been trained on how to conduct physical removals, but are cautioned to try to avoid such measures because they can cause situations to escalate. 
Mr. Monson said Mr. Reinel would often come over to discuss how to handle potential agitators appropriately. He was literally a guardian angel, said Teal Linseth, one of the main organizers of the Portland protest. He would protect you no matter what. Early on Friday, Ms. Linseth spray-painted a tribute to Mr. Reinel on the street in front of the police precinct where demonstrators were gathered. Long live Mike, she wrote, the best ally ever. It is only at this point that the New York Times says, you know, on July 5th, he was charged with resisting arrest and possession of a loaded firearm. And uh, he, showed the end, he showed a bloodied arm to a journalist with Bloomberg and said he'd been shot while intervening in a fight at the end of July. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So the New York Times just runs cover for a guy who pretty obviously was a murderer. And this is your wonderful media. The, the narrative has overtaken nearly all of America's major institutions. We're in the middle of a cultural revolution. It is a cultural revolution in which America's major institutions, ranging from political parties to media outlets to even places like the APA, have, uh, have the, the American Psychological Association, have been overtaken by politics. And, and it undermines their credibility as experts, by the way. I'm not going to listen to the quote-unquote experts unless they actually demonstrate expertise in the subject area that they purport to proclaim expertise. Yeah, the American Psychological Association, I'm supposed to believe their designations in the DSM that a man who believes he is a woman is not, in fact, suffering from any sort of mental condition or mental illness. I'm supposed to believe that. I'm going to believe that from the same people at the APA who now suggest that capitalism is racist. These are the experts, guys. Very scientific people. Super scientific. The president of the American Psychological Association, which represents psychologists in the United States, accused the United States of harboring a racism pandemic. The president of the Association of Black Psychologists stated, quote, every institution in America is born from the blood of white supremacist ideology and capitalism, and that's the disease, according to a press release released by the APA. This is so scientific. The experts are telling you guys, we're in the middle of a racism pandemic, and every institution in America is racist, and so is capitalism. The statements were made by APA President Sandra Schulman and ABPSI President Theopia Jackson Schulman said, we are living in a racism pandemic which is taking a heavy psychological toll on our African-American citizens. The health consequences are dire. Racism is associated with a host of psychological consequences, including depression, anxiety, and other serious, sometimes debilitating conditions, including post-traumatic stress disorder and substance use disorders. Moreover, stress caused by racism can contribute to the development of cardiovascular and other physical diseases. Research shows that compared with whites, black feel more negative stereotype threats and more racial profiling when interacting with the police. So we need to have a conversation. The APA is addressing these issues. Okay, this is so anti-scientific. It boggles the mind. In their further sources cited, they cite the garbage book, Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility. So the cultural revolution has now overtaken, quote unquote, institutions of science. Meanwhile, Elizabeth Warren wants to use those institutions of science in order to use the government to cram down her purported messages. Warren has now joined forces with Representative Ayanna Presley who was encouraging violence five seconds ago, and Representative Barbara Lee of California to promote the Anti-Racism in Public Health Act which would put COVID-19 restrictions in the same square as Black Lives Matter protests. Warren said in a statement, it's time we start treating structural racism like we would treat any other public health problem or disease. Oh, you mean a thing that you can't define? You want to treat like an actual disease? You mean you want to use the power of the CDC in order to go after people who you purport to be, who you claim are racist without any evidence that they're actually racist? Because remember, structural racism does not require racist intent or actual racist policy. It just requires disparate impact. So she wants to create a national center for anti-racism at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to research and explore racism's health impacts. They also want to create a law enforcement violence prevention program at the CDC as a bulwark against police brutality. Because when I think of Center for Disease Control, first thing I think is 
Law Enforcement Violence Prevention Program. Pretty incredible stuff here from Elizabeth Warren. So all major institutions will be turned toward the narrative. Over at USC, how far have they turned at the universities toward this narrative? Here's how far they've turned it at, at the universities toward this narrative. Over the last couple of days, a man named Greg Patton, a professor of clinical business communication at USC, was suspended from his job. Why? Because he had this to say. He, he literally was talking about how people use filler words in different languages. And he mentioned a filler word in Chinese. Okay, and um, here is what he had to say. This got him suspended and investigated by the University of Southern California when people claimed they were offended by a word in Chinese that sounds like a slur in English but has nothing to do with that slur. If you have a lot of armorers, and this is culturally specific, so based on your native language, like in China, the, the common word is that, 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 that. So in China, it might be nega, 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 nega. So there's different words that you'll hear in different countries, but they're vocal disfluencies that's saying that, 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 um, 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 er, er, er. He was suspended for this. USC is now offering supportive measures to any student, faculty, or staff member who requests assistance. The school is, quote, committed to building a culture of respect and dignity where all members of our community can feel safe, supported, and can thrive. Our institutions are completely broken, completely and utterly broken. All points of commonality have been lost. And you can tell where people believe the poles of power are in American society right now and the direction American society is moving. We have another Rachel Dolezal case. So there is a woman who is at George Washington University. She's an associate professor in African history. Her name is Jessica Krug. She admitted Thursday she's actually a culturally who is white. She wrote a life-shattering medium post titled The Truth and Anti-Black Violence of My Lies. She's a self-proclaimed historian of politics, ideas, and cultural practices in Africa and the African diaspora. She said, for the better part of my adult life, every move I've made, every relationship I've formed has been rooted in the napalm toxic soil of lies. To an escalating degree over my adult life, I've eschewed my lived experience as a white Jewish child in suburban Kansas City under various assumed identities within a blackness that I had no right to claim. First, North African blackness, then U.S.-rooted blackness, then Caribbean-rooted Bronx blackness. I've built my life on a violent anti-black lie. I've lied in every breath I have taken. She's the author of the book Fugitive Modernities, Kisama and the Politics of Freedom, which interrogates the political practices and discourses through which those who fled from slavery and the violence of the slave trade in Angola forged coherent political communities outside of and in opposition to state politics. She says there is no parallel form of my adulthood connected to white people or a white community or an alternative white identity. I have lived this life fully, completely with no exit plan or strategy. I have no identity outside of this. I have never developed one. So she doesn't really explain why she was a finding uh, why she has decided to reveal this. And now the, the actual answer is that she has decided to reveal this apparently because she was about to be outed about all of this. But again, we live in a society where, you know, folks like Rachel Dolezal seek positions of power by masquerading as members of a particular race. And now you have this woman who is masquerading as a black woman in order to gain presumably power and prestige. That does say something about where we stand in American society today. There were not a lot of white people who are who were attempting to pass as black in a time of widespread American racism in the 1950s, 1960s, 1940s, 1930s. Okay, this is just another cultural hallmark of the fact that, in fact, black Americans are treated really well in the United States. Again, people don't tend to masquerade and, and take on the, the lived experiences of people who are the victims in a society. That is not something that they tend to do. In fact, throughout tragic periods of American history, black people in many cases, were forced to try to masquerade as white people simply so they could be treated as equal human beings. Right? The, the, the fact that you now have people in academia, Rachel Dolezal's or this lady, who are trying to act black and pretend to be black in order to gain cultural prestige, 
I mean, this lady obviously has problems. and You don't want to use her as the case in point of what's going on in the United States. But again, it does have something to say on a broader level about where we stand in terms of race relations in the United States. Okay, now, I know that we're going a little long here, but I'd also be remiss if I did not comment on, um, on this story from The Atlantic that claims that President Trump said that Americans who died in war are losers and suckers. The reason that we have to talk about this, obviously, is this is becoming a major democratic narrative. So Jeffrey Goldberg, who is just garbage. Jeffrey Goldberg is the editor of The Atlantic. He was just a mouthpiece for the Obama administration. He frequently just mouthed whatever Obama slogans Obama wanted him to mouth. He's, he's terrible. I really, I, I think Jeffrey Goldberg is, is awful in virtually every way, including the firing of Kevin Williamson, the conservative columnist. He hired him. He assured me to have a job. There's some blowback. He fired him because Jeffrey Goldberg is a coward. So now Jeffrey Goldberg has run a piece suggesting via four anonymous sources everything that the left would want to believe about President Trump. And so the headline at The Atlantic is Trump. Americans who died in war are losers and suckers. Quote, when President Donald Trump canceled a visit to the Ein Marne American Cemetery near Paris in 2018, he blamed rain for the last minute decision, saying the helicopter couldn't fly and that the Secret Service wouldn't drive him there. Neither claim was true. Trump rejected the idea of the visit because he feared his hair would become disheveled in the rain and because he did not believe it important to honor American war dead, according to four people with firsthand knowledge of the discussion that day. Now, here's the problem. There are on the record books about this particular incident. And there are emails specifically talking about the weather inside the administration, talking about the weather that day and why they had to cancel the event. But reports Jeffrey Goldberg in a conversation with senior staff members on the morning of the scheduled visit, Trump said, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers. In a separate conversation on the same trip, Trump referred to the more than 1,800 Marines who lost their lives at Bellew Wood, which is a World War I site, as suckers for getting killed. Bellew Wood is a consequential battle in American history. The ground on which it fought is venerated by the Marine Corps. America and its allies stopped the German advance toward Paris there in the spring of 1918. But Trump, on that same trip, asked aides, who are the good guys in this war? He also said he didn't understand why the United States would intervene on the side of the allies. There was no precedent in American politics for Trump's repeated expression of contempt for service members. And he talks about how John McC he was mean to John McCain, of course, which, of course, we already know and was gross at the time. But according to four different sources, he, uh, he just craps all over dead soldiers and, and, and soldiers who have uh, been wounded in the line of duty. According to The Atlantic, on Memorial Day 2017, Trump visited Arlington National Cemetery a short drive from the White House. He was accompanied on this visit by John Kelly, who was then the Secretary of Homeland Security and who would a short time later be named White House Chief of Staff. The two men were set to visit Section 60, the 14-acre area of the cemetery that is burial ground for those killed in America's most recent wars. Kelly's son Robert is buried in Section 60. A first lieutenant in the Marine Corps, Robert Kelly was killed in 2010 in Afghanistan. He was 29. Trump was supposed to join Kelly in paying respects at his son's graves. But according to sources with knowledge of the visit, Trump, while standing by the grave, turned directly to his father and said, I don't get it. What was in it for them? Kelly, who declined to comment for the story, initially believed people close to him said that Trump was making a ham-handed reference to the selflessness of America's all-volunteer force. But later, he came to realize that Trump simply does not understand non-transactional life choices. He can't fathom the idea of doing something for someone other than himself, one of Kelly's friends, a retired four-star general, told me. Okay, so now... It's not even that, uh, that, that Kelly, uh, that he said something bad to Kelly. It's that Kelly interpreted in a way that was bad, but didn't go on the record. So you have four sources saying that he is mean to dead and wounded soldiers, none of whom would go on the record, none of whom would go on the record. And this is being used by the Democrats to, uh, to go after Donald Trump. Trump has denied all of these allegations, of course, but it doesn't matter. So long as a source is, un so long as there's an unnamed source, the media will believe anything that confirms their narrative. This is why the Michael Wolff book became a bestseller, even though apparently it was completely full of crap. The media have fact-checking standards 
in which they will go after Donald Trump for nearly anything, but they won't fact check themselves or request that anybody go on the record. If you're going to make a shocking allegation, like the sitting president of the United States goes around calling dead and wounded American soldiers suckers and losers. Uh, High standards from our media these days. All righty. We'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. Otherwise, please, I say this every single Friday, try not to burn down the country. You guys keep ignoring me and it's getting worse. And so I'm going to give you a timeout if you don't stop this. Otherwise, we'll see you here on Monday. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pava Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental. And that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.